The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We begin with stocks facing some early pressure once again as investors weigh the latest batch of corporate earnings and some new comments from one voting Fed official on the outlook for inflation. Then, growth over profits. The EV price war Elon Musk started hits Tesla where it hurts. Gross margins. That stock is set to open up deep in the red. Another salvo fired in the Disney DeSantis feud as the Florida governor and likely 2024 presidential candidate looks to nullify CEO Bob Iger's last-minute deal to keep Disney World autonomous. Plus, Bed Bath & Beyond preparing for the great beyond as it reportedly gets ready for a Chapter 11 bankruptcy filing. Shares are sinking in the pre-market. Then later in the show, Apple's Indian expansion takes shape as it opens a second retail store. We have a live report from New Delhi coming up. It is Thursday, April the 20th, 2023, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning and welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Let's kick off this hour with a check on U.S. stock futures after yet another very modest session yesterday where the major averages moved less than a half a percent in either direction. Looking this morning, deep in the red right now, we're seeing the Dow Jones down. It looks like it could be 150 points at the open if it opened now. Of course, it is very early. The S&P and the Nasdaq also in the red. All right. Stocks tread water as they tread water. We're also getting a check on the VIX this morning. That's Wall Street's fear gauge. And right now it's trading at its lowest level since November of 2021. We're seeing the downside move here, uh, you know, almost ironically after the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank, but a sharp move to the downside since March. We're also checking the bond market yields near one month highs. Of course, we always start with a benchmark 10 year at 3.56. The yield on the four year remains above 4 percent, just ticking up slightly in recent days. In energy, oil's coming off its worst session of the month. Right now, as you can see, it's back below 80 bucks a barrel. WTI crude, the U.S. benchmark at 77.80, down almost 2% this morning. Brent crude, the international benchmark at 81.60, also down almost 2%. Natural gassing, a bit of a pop, up almost a half a percent. And your stock of the morning, it is Tesla, under pressure in the pre-market. The headlines, first quarter gross margins falling to their lowest levels in 13 quarters, Earnings down more than 20% from a year ago. Much more on that throughout the hour. You can see Tesla shares down 7.5% right now. All right, we now turn our attention to around the world, the global markets. A few very big headlines to get to in Asia. Our Jumana Brissetti is standing by in our London newsroom with the latest on that. Jumana. Good morning, Frank. Well, you said Tesla. It's having huge ramifications on European stocks today. The auto sector is massively underperforming. We've got the likes of Renault in the Cacaron down about seven percentage points. Stellantis down six percentage points. VW down about four percentage points as well. So the news out of Tesla has had knock-on effects. And you can see all of these bourses are trading with risk-off today, risk-off bias. But let me switch over to Asian markets overnight. And you can see over there, it's a bit of a mixed bag. The Shanghai Composite slightly negative. The Nikkei up about two-tenths of a percentage point. We've got export numbers slightly weaker than the prior month. Australia and focus. Some big news there. The country has announced it will overhaul its central bank, creating a new 
specialist board for setting interest rates. And the shakeup comes after a review found that the RBA had mishandled interest rate guidance and was slow to respond to rising inflation. This new board will remain independent from the Australian government. So big news out of Australia. Switching over to one other stock that we're looking at overnight, TSMC. You can see the chip maker is up about six-tenths of a percentage point after posting a 2% rise in first quarter net profit. That is the smallest quarterly growth in almost four years, while its revenue dropped at 4.8%. Now, Asia's most valuable listed company says it expects chip demand to recover in the second half of this year and that it is evaluating the possibility of building a new fab plant in Europe as well. So that was the takeaway from TSMC, slightly in the green, Frank. All right, our Germana Persecci live in our London newsroom. Germana, thank you. Time now for a check on this morning's top corporate stories, including that very rough quarter for Tesla. Silvana Hanau is here with that. Silvana, good morning. Hey, Frank, good morning. Yeah, tough quarter indeed. Shares of Tesla are under pressure ahead of the open after the EV maker said growth profit margins slipped to their lowest level in 13 quarters in the first three months of this year. Tesla says its latest series of price cuts, six in the U.S. so far this year, is helping demand but hitting its bottom line. Now, the company says earnings are down more than 20 percent year on year, while sales are up 24 percent. CEO Elon Musk defending his strategy as a long-term play. Listen to what he said. We're taking a view that we want to keep making and selling as many cars as we can, um, despite this being an uncertain macro environment. Uh, this is a, a good time to increase our lead further, um, and we'll continue to invest in growth as fast as possible. Alphabet's Google reportedly plans to introduce generative AI into its ad business in the coming months to create what it calls novel advertisements. According to the Financial Times, which reviewed the internal Alphabet documents, advertisers will be able to supply Google with content like images, text, and video, and the AI will use that to create an original targeted campaign. And the Orlando Oversight Board, appointed by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, is making moves to fully nullify agreements Disney made, which allowed it to retain near full control over its lands in and around its Florida theme parks. Among the critiques of Disney, the state-appointed board pointed to the need for more affordable housing near Disney's theme parks. Within hours of that meeting wrapping, Disney said it plans to break ground next year on an affordable housing development, providing 1,400 housing units on 80 acres by the year 2026, Frank. All right, Silvana, thank you very much. Our Silvana now. We'll see you later on the show. All right, turn our attention now back to the markets. And the top Fed official says recent data shows inflation is slowing and the labor market is gradually cooling. In a speech last night to a group of bond market experts, New York Fed President John Williams says if this trend continues, it will likely help bring prices down. Williams expects inflation, as tracked by the PCE, will fall to around three and a quarter percent this year from five percent back in February. But at the moment, Williams says, A key measure the Fed is watching, that's service inflation, minus food, energy and housing. And he says it's not budging. Williams echoing what other policymakers have said, that another rate hike may be needed. Let's talk more about this with Ben Emmons, principal and senior portfolio manager at New Edge Wealth. Ben, great to have you here. Good to be here, Frank. All right. So, I mean, just right now, CME says there's an 83 percent chance of a quarter point hike at the next Fed meeting. That's up from 67 percent just a week ago. The New York Fed president sounded pretty hawkish to me. I don't know about you. Markets basically flat this week. How do you see all this impact in the markets until we get to that PCE report on April 28th? Yeah, it will be choppy waters because the market's trying to figure out now, is inflation really slowing down? 
as you hear from Williams and Waller last week, they're not satisfied with inflation as it's moving down, it's moving too slow. So the market caught on to this and said, we got to reprice the hike for May, and we may have to price more in after that. I think that keeps the market under pressure. Yeah, that May is really the key there. Yeah. So um, you've been looking at the markets. You see it's been pretty much range-bound for the last 11 months, about 3,800 to 4,200 stand in that range. So we've had a lot of disruption just over the last month alone, especially in the banking sector. What do you think is priced in and what is not priced in? Is the banking crisis already priced in? Is the possibility of another hike even after this May meeting priced in? I think neither is priced in. You know, the banking crisis came and went. It just looked like it never happened. But yet, it is an important change that occurred to the markets. And it may happen again if rates go up further. Secondly, to that, rates are not fully reflecting more rate hikes. It's more thinking May will be the last hike, and then we'll see what happens after that. So there's a lot of uncertainty, I think, here, why we're in this range and we keep chopping up and down. All right. Speaking of range, you're thinking long range. You're actually looking at the, the debt limit deadline and negotiations there. Actually, Goldman was out with a note yesterday saying that they previously thought that deadline would last until August. Now it may be July. You see that, that deadline and that negotiation as an opportunity, an opportunity to do what? Yeah, it is an opportunity to re-engage. Eventually, the history tells us that there will not be a default, politically unsatisfiable to have a default. And secondly, if you get discord, it causes uncertainty and volatility. In the end, they kind of, the, the parties get together and resolve it, and that will be your opportunity to step in. So I do think it's a buying opportunity once this debt ceiling crisis gets heated up. So you're saying buy the deadline dip? Buy the deadline dip, <laughs> but wait for it. <laughs> All right, Ben Evans from New Edge, thank you so much. Great thank to you. have you here as always. Thank you. All right, when we come back here on Worldwide Exchange, much more on Elon Musk's EV price war, its bottom line impact, and well, my next guest says it may all be worth it in the end. Plus, bracing for bidding wars, a new report from Zillow that should get the attention of first-time home buyers. A very busy hour still ahead when WEX Worldwide Exchange returns. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. It is time now for your big money movers, three stock stories of the morning. We begin with IBM. Shares are up 2% in the pre-market after first quarter profit beat forecast, although revenue came just shy of estimates. The company also signaling demand for IT service has been better than feared. The industry is facing a slowdown following the post-pandemic surge for services such as consulting as high inflation and rising rates have forced customers to rein in discretionary projects and spending. Shares of Zions are falling as the regional bank missed first quarter profit. You see shares are down 4.5% this morning in the pre-market. 
The company says deposits fell 16 percent during the quarter. They also warn of pressure on revenue. The Zion CEO says the bank is taking steps to reduce risk in its commercial real estate business. And Bed Bath & Beyond may follow David's bridal into bankruptcy. Shares down 22 percent this morning. The Wall Street Journal reports the retailer could file for Chapter 11 bankruptcy as soon as this weekend. It recently said it needs to raise about 300 million share from shares, share sales by April 26. The company has warned if it can't raise enough capital, it would have to file for bankruptcy and likely, likely liquidate its assets. The stock is down more than 80 percent this year. All right. Turning now to the housing market as we await March existing home sales. Those figures out later on this morning. Those numbers are expected to, sh- to slow to a four and a half million annual rate after surging nearly 15 percent in February. Stubbornly high mortgage rates continue to impact the amount of homes for sale. Ahead of that, Zillow's out with a new report this morning and a warning for entry-level home buyers that they need to brace for some spring bidding wars. Skylar Olson's the chief economist at Zillow and joins me now to break down those results. Skylar, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. All right, so Skylar, your new report shows that people on the high end, those luxury home buyers, They've seen just a bit of relief over the last year, but those entry-level home buyers, they've seen prices rise by 8%. Rates, of course, have also risen. What's putting so much price pressure on that entry point buyer? Absolutely. I mean, right now you see so much pressure on housing so much because we actually have a big seller problem. I think the narrative we talk about of higher mortgage rates, it's easy to see that as a real challenge for the buyer. But who's most sensitive to the fact that interest rates are up around six and a quarter is the homeowners actively holding on to say three percent. So we've seen new listings just really fall from last year. The number of homes that are dropping into the market each month is down 22% from last year. It's even worse if I compare it to a pre-pandemic market. No supply at a time when we really have strong fundamental demand, even if the affordability is a challenge. There are a lot of potential home buyers out there. It's keeping the pressure on, especially on that lower tier that's more affordable. So we're talking about the bottom tier inventory. We're actually showing the viewers right now. That's up just 1%. Why is it so low compared to the higher end that's up 13%? Yeah, those numbers that you're looking at there, it's important to remember that this is the pool of inventory. So it matters the tap of homes coming onto the market. That's the new listings. And also the volume of sales. Sales sales is down, absolutely, relative to last year. Um, But new listings is being impacted and hit worse. And actually, at some point in a low inventory environment, right, uh, the sales start to be limited by the new listings coming on the market in the first place. So when you're looking at that number and you say, hey, inventory is not up in the lower tier from last year, what that means is that each new home that's placed on the market gets harvested and is harvested off fast. So homes are still selling rather quickly in the bottom tier, especially those that are priced well. So are the trends you're seeing the same across the board? Are we talking suburban and urban seeing the same thing? Every other, every city seeing the same thing? Or are there certain regions and certain areas that you can find better deals? Absolutely. I mean, this story that's happening right now across the country, less and less are we sharing current patterns, right? Um, and that has a lot to do with the fact that, you know, in, in many ways, the housing market is slowing down so much. You know, prices are rather flat. So in some areas, you might see there's still price pressure on, say, lower tier homes, maybe inventory that's not a fixer upper. Now, that can be a big risk for buyers right now if they can't dip back into more debt, right, with interest rates being so high. 
So some homes will be very attractive, move very, very fast. Others will start to linger. This is never more true than this market that's inventory starved. And yet you have, you know, returned to some home value. This is a better and better signal that this is a good long run investment still. So people are getting confident that they won't lose home equity by buying now. And yet there's not really the availability of homes there. All right, existing home sales coming out later today. Skylar Olson from Zillow, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. All right, ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, details on Tim Cook's one-on-one with the Indian Prime Minister and also the future of Apple's expansion plans in India. Plus, Tesla semi-truck may be stealing all the headlines in the EV freight space, but another key player is making inroads of its own. We speak with the CEO of European EV maker Einride. Coming up, much more WEX after the break. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Click, click, click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. All right, welcome back to WEX. Watching shares of Las Vegas Sands popping in the pre-market, you can see up more than 4%, and set to add to some already impressive year-to-date gains, and it's all about China. Our Contessa Brewer joins me now. Contessa, I'm going to call you the maven of Macau. Good morning. (laughs) I like it. I've never been called that before, although I've been called a lot of other things, Frank. Sands saw a billion bucks in gambling revenue alone in Macau for the first time since the start of the pandemic, LVS outperformed even the bullish street expectations. It beat on revenue. It beat on earnings. And in gaming, the all-important earnings metric, property-adjusted EBITDA, seven times higher than a year ago. CEO Rob Goldstein proclaimed on the earnings call, a powerful recovery is underway in Macau. Business is back, he said. Macau, he says, is in its infancy as far as the return to a more normal operating environment. Now, for one thing, labor has been a real problem. The hotels have not been able to open to capacity. Sands has been down by more than 30 percent. But by summer, LVS predicts that labor likely won't be a challenge for anyone in the market. The executive sidestepped questions about market share and said, look, this is a totally different market than 2019. It's opened a rebranded property, the Londoner. It offers a Four Seasons high-end hotel product. The company thinks it's taking a different approach. And Goldstein said he was pleasantly surprised by the amount of business Macau is already getting from international Asian high-end customers at Sands without cannibalizing business in Singapore. And let's talk about Singapore a bit. It's had a year's head start on reopening. It did booming business, set a new property record in one gambling category and profit margins of 47%. The company says even without seeing real recovery in Chinese tourists resuming their own international travel. So they only have uh, to go up from here. A slew of analysts, Frank, this morning are raising price targets on Sands. Jeffrey's analyst, for instance, David Katz, points out that the quarter exceeded even his own optimistic street high expectations. 
All right. So, uh, you know, obviously a very solid report for Las Vegas Sands. I want to ask you about a key demographic when it comes to the gaming business, the big spenders and the high rollers. Have they come back to Macau in general and are they going to Las Vegas Sands? You know, it's very interesting because during the pandemic, while there were so many restrictions on visitation, re- reportedly we heard a lot about the, the highest rollers going to Singapore, which of course would have benefited Las Vegas Sands with its property there, uh, to Vietnam, to Malaysia, and to other destinations in, in the Philippines and Asia, for instance. So that's one reason why Goldstein said he was pleasantly surprised that some of them were coming back to not only to Macau, but back to Sands in particular. Sands has always appealed more to what they call a mass market or premium mass. These are rich people, but rich people who don't quite reach the stature of the whales. But the junkets have largely subsided. That business was a very popular way to get high spenders into Macau previously, but it's come under a lot of pressure from the Chinese government cracking down on money laundering and corruption. And during the pandemic, one of the biggest operators, the CEO, was arrested uh, and and charged with uh, crimes in this particular part of the business. So we'll have to see whether that hurts some of SANS competitors. But it looks like uh, SANS is getting the benefit from it. When you can see is also getting a pop off of those very sunny uh, results coming in from Macau. Yeah, absolutely. We're seeing went up 3%, MGM up about a half a percent. Uh, could be a big day for the gaming sector. Our Contessa Brewer, always great to see you. Great insight. Thank you for being here. Nice to All see right, you. Still Frank. to come here on Worldwide Exchange, your Thursday morning call sheet. We're checking out a few of the morning's biggest upgrades and downgrades by firms you know and stocks you likely own. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. And Worldwide Exchange, we'll be right back. It's right around 5.30 a.m. here in the New York City area. 5.30 p.m. in Macau, where we just heard the gaming business is booming. But we're just getting started here on Worldwide Exchange here as we're still on deck. Price cuts and profit drops. Shares of Tesla sliding this morning on the back of those quarterly results, revealing the true cost of slashing the price tag on its most popular EVs. Elon Musk also talking about his other company, Twitter. We'll tell you why he is threatening fresh legal action against Microsoft. And Apple's Indian expansion continues with a second store opening and CEO Tim Cook wooing key political leaders. We are on the ground as Apple looks to expand its footprint. It is Thursday, April the 20th, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. All right, welcome back to WEX. I'm Frank Holland. Hope your morning's getting off to a great start. Let's pick up the half an hour with the check on U.S. stock futures. As we mentioned earlier, they are in the red right now. The Dow Jones would open up about 150 points lower. The S&P and the NASDAQ both down as well. The NASDAQ, however, down more than 1%. Something to watch this morning. Now, we have a news alert for you this morning here on WEX. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen will give remarks on the U.S.-China economic relationship today at Johns Hopkins University. Some parts of the speech are being released this morning in which she will say the U.S. seeks, quote, constructive and fair economic relations with China. She will also uh, talk about targeted actions against China and how they're driven by security concerns and not meant to gain competitive economic advantage. Again, that's according to this advanced release. But Yellen says the U.S. will not compromise on security concerns even when they force trade-offs with economic interests. So again, that's another story we'll continue to watch this morning and we'll look at the international markets, especially the Chinese markets and Asian markets, and see how they respond. All right, now time for a check on this morning's top story. 
including new insights into Disney's massive cost-cutting plans. Our Savannah Hanau is back with that story and much more. Savannah. Hey, friend. Good morning. Yeah, so more job cuts. And now it's ESPN. Set to begin layoffs as early as next week. And this is according to sources speaking with CNBC, saying the cuts will include some on-air talent and management. They add that the number of layoffs at the sports network is unclear and decisions around the move are still fluid. Now, the move would be the latest by parent company Disney's $5.5 billion cost-cutting plan involving the elimination of 7,000 jobs. Elon Musk launching a new legal fight, this time with Microsoft. The Twitter CEO is threatening to sue the tech giant, accusing it of illegally using data from his social platform to train its artificial intelligence model. Musk's threat comes after reports that Microsoft would drop Twitter as an advertising platform. And Ryan Cohen reportedly scrapping plans to nominate candidates for Nordstrom's board. According to Bloomberg, the activist investor had previously notified the retailer his plans to nominate two candidates, but has since withdrawn that notice. Cohen's push for change within Nordstrom's board had been particularly focused on Mark Tritton. That's the former Bed Bath & Beyond CEO, Frank. Yeah, certainly something to watch. A lot of activism in the retail space recently. All right, Savannah now. Thank you very much. All right. Savannah, thank you. Uh, time now for one of your big money movers this morning. We're talking Tesla. Shares sinking after it reported an earnings drop of more than 20 percent from last year as gross margins hit their lowest level in more than four years. All this on the heels of its aggressive EV price war in the U.S. alone. Tesla has reduced prices on its most popular models six times. CEO Elon Musk telling analysts on the call yesterday that aggressive cost cutting will now pay off in the long term. We do believe we're like laying the groundwork here uh, and then it's better to ship uh, a large number of cars at a lower margin and subsequently um, uh, harvest that margin in the future as uh, we perfect autonomy. For more on these results, I'm joined by Seth Goldstein, Morningstar Equity Strategist and its EV Committee Chair. Seth, great to have you here. Thanks for having me. So, Seth, you have a price target on Tesla of 215 After yesterday's results, does that change at all? It did. I slightly lowered my, my fair value estimates from 215 to two, from 225 due to slightly lower margins that I was anticipating that will likely persist through 2023. When we saw the first quarter results, operating margins for the company, which uh, CFO Zach Kirkhorn focuses on, fell to 11%. That was below what I thought they were going to be. I thought they were going to be at 13%, 14% for the year, which was still a 2 or 3% compression from last year. But uh, due to the price cuts and the ongoing price cuts, as Tesla did cut earlier this month, again, uh, I think that we'll likely to see lower margins persist throughout the year. But, you know, more importantly, if you look over the long term, I see really no changes in Tesla's story here. They, while they will be pursuing a you know volume over price strategy this year, while we see an economic slowdown over the long term, the, the growth story is very much intact. So yesterday we heard that the real key metric there was that uh, gross auto margin of 20.5 percent. That was the estimate. The fact that it fell you know a significant amount below that, do you see that as a long term trend? Do you see that margin number continuing to decline? And how does that shape the narrative around the story? I think over the long term, Tesla is likely to be able to get back to what the uh, 29% automotive gross margin they achieved over the past two years. We're likely to see that drop to the low 20% and remain there for this year and next year. But as they start ramping up new vehicles and as, as their cost reduction plans take hold that they detailed in the investor day earlier this year, I think we're likely to see margins 
expand over time. All right. So Elon Musk is trying to assure everybody that this price war is going to work out in the long term. Do you agree with him? If he continues to cut prices, will Tesla actually gain market share, especially with some more established competitors like Ford and GM trying to horn in on this market? Well, when, when you look at the average uh, Tesla selling price for a Model 3 and a Model Y, it's not too much different from two years ago. So while, while Tesla will be able to cut prices when raw materials start to come down again, you know, when you look at the average selling price of the car, it's really not going to change much. But for competitors who were, you know, perhaps looking to sell higher price vehicles as a way to make their EVs profitable immediately, this puts them on notice to take costs out of their uh, production. And, you know, for Tesla, I think this is a way to extend market share to make the consumer who is maybe considering an entry-level vehicle versus, a, you know, an entry-level luxury vehicle uh, to consider paying up for the Tesla because it is one of the best cars on the market. And, and it provides a great value at the current prices. All right, Seth Goldstein of Morningstar. Great to have you here. Appreciate the insight. All right, turning now to Apple. It's Indian expansion. It just rolls on, officially opening its second store in that country today. This one's located in the capital of New Delhi. CEO Tim Cook on hand. You can see him right there for the ribbon cutting. This following his meeting yesterday with India's prime minister, Narendra Modi, reiterating his commitment to growth and investment in China. For more, we're joined by CNBC TV 18's Shabani Garat outside the company's new store in New Delhi. And our Seema Modi has more on Tim Cook's push to win over the country's leaders. We start with Shabani. Apple, after opening its first store or maiden store in India in Mumbai, BKC, which is Apple BKC store, just two days later opened its first store in Delhi and second one for the country, Apple Saket. Now, uh, there have been uh, customers of Apple queued up or lined up outside the store since 5 or 6 a.m. in the morning and the store opened its doors at approximately 10 a.m. this morning where Apple CEO Tim Cook welcomed the first customers walking into the store. Now, this store uh, is much smaller in size as compared to the Maiden store, which is the Apple BKC store, which is approximately 20,000 square feet. This one is much smaller in size inside a mall, but the kind of experience that it will give to the customers here in Delhi is much different as compared to what they are used to through Apple authorized resellers, which were so far present, will continue to be present in the country. Now, uh, it will house approximately 70 Apple retail employees who will help, of course, the customers walking in make their decision while making a purchase. It will also house a genius bar. Uh, the Today at Apple sessions will also be conducted at this particular store and approximately 70 employees that are present at this store also speak 15 different languages to make it easier for the customers walking in to communicate with them and get to learn more about the product. This store, in fact, also houses a dedicated pickup zone, pickup point, uh, where customers can buy the products online and come and pick it up at the store. All right, that was CNBC TV 18's Shabani Garat reporting live from New Delhi, uh, reporting from New Delhi, I should say. Let's get more on Apple's Indian strategy and bring in our Seema Modi. Seema, good morning. Great to have you here. CEO Tim Cook clearly looking to pave the way for Apple and its expansion in India during his meeting with the prime minister. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. And Frank, I'm told by sources on the ground there that Apple CEO Tim Cook's meeting with Prime Minister Narendra Modi yesterday lasted about 45 minutes. Topics ranging from supply chain, ways to expand production and navigating uh, how to work across different states. It follows uh, the following the meeting, CEO Tim Cook tweeting that Apple is committed to growing and investing across the country. That's what Modi wants to hear. Apple has already brought some iPhone production with supplier Foxconn to India. And as we previously reported, iPad production is being discussed as well. I'm hearing Cook is expected to meet with telecom giant CEO Sunil Mithil of Bharti Enterprises tonight. So he's clearly meeting some of the right people around across the Indian business community. And he really wants to capitalize on China's troubles and show other U.S. companies that they, too, can expand there as long as they're willing to invest in jobs. And at a recent Council on Foreign Relations meeting that CNBC attended, a high-ranking Indian minister reassured executives that India is open for business, but there are are critics that are concerned about a data privacy law that is currently in, in being drafted that would potentially subject U.S. tech firms to sharing user information. Frank? So we haven't seen, uh, you know, other major tech companies try to get a foothold in India, at least not yet. Can Apple be successful there, can get kind of the success it's had in China? And can you lay out the challenges it may be facing? Yeah, Frank, it certainly could be an uphill battle for Apple. Uh, the smartphone market there is dominated by cheaper Android phones, many of which are Chinese smartphones. Uh, but if you look at Cook's trip so far, he's clearly not only spending time with the prime minister in addition to opening those two stores. We'll have to see if there are more stores being planned in the coming months. Uh, but he's meeting influential people across the business community, not only Sunil Mithil tonight, uh, but he also met with Mukesh Ambani, who happens to be the richest Indian um, in the country and an industrial heavyweight. And not to mention a Bollywood star, really royalty in the entertainment industry, Madhuri Dixit. Uh, so he's clearly trying to f meet the right people so he can not only understand how India's market works, but also uh, increase uh, the brand and strengthen the brand, which right now you could say not as many people in India know about. You know, Seema, I want to go back to the smartphone market. So Apple has about 3% market share there in India. Um, you mentioned that a lot of people buy lower priced phones. What can Apple do to try to increase that market share and get people into its ecosystem? Well, it may just come down to price, right? If you're talking about, uh, yes, India, a growing middle class, but at the same time, they're known for being much more cost conscious. So it may just come down to price and how Apple approaches uh, selling their iPhones and not to mention other devices. Uh, what kind of price do they test with the Indian consumer? And will they use China as a case study? They opened up in China in 2008. They started with 45 stores. And then over time, they were able to ramp up and gain market share in that market. So it'll be interesting to see how they view their success and the challenges they've had in other Asian countries and apply that to a market like India, Frank. All right, our Seema Modi. Seema, thank you very much. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, making inroads in the burgeoning EV semi-truck space. We talked to the CEO of Europe's Einride on a big new deal for his company with a global snack giant and his take on the road ahead for the sector. Worldwide Exchange returns right after this break. All right, welcome back to WEX. Time now for your morning call sheet. We are checking this morning's biggest upgrades and downgrades on companies you know and stocks that you own. We begin with Wells Fargo cutting its price target for Roku ahead of its first quarter results. You see shares are down almost a percent and a half this morning. That price target cut goes from $67 a share to just 62 or just under that. It cites a slower ad market recovery likely weighing on the company for the remainder of this year. 
Second, Mizuhu upgrading Southern Company's rating from neutral to buy, also raising its price target from just under $73 a share now to $77, citing the pending completion of its new nuclear unit. Also, a bonus market flash this morning, watching shares of solar stocks. The Wall Street Journal reporting the U.S. Energy Department will commit $3 billion to expand rooftop solar access. Looking at solar stocks this morning, not seeing any movement just now. SunPower end phase down a half a percent. Sunrun down almost 3%, but we're going to continue to watch this space after this report from the Journal that the Energy Department will commit $3 billion to expand rooftop solar access. All right, turning now to more sustainable companies. Tesla semi-truck may be stealing all the headlines in the EV freight space, but other players are making inroads of their own, disrupting a sector that's dominated by oil-burning diesel engines. The latest Swedish EV maker, Einride, inking a deal with Pepsi to deliver two of its all-electric semi-trucks for use in the U.K. market, helping the consumer products giant move just one step closer to its sustainability goals. Joining me now from Stockholm is Einride founder and CEO Robert Falk. Robert, as you say there in Stockholm, God Morgan, thank you for being here. Good morning. Pleasure to be here. So I see you have a lot of uh, you have a lot of blue chip customers already. You have Maris, the world's largest ocean shipper. You have AB InBev, the world's largest brewer. What does it mean for your company and the EV sector overall to have a company like Pepsi decide they want to use your EVs? This makes all the difference. I mean, for us, when we started the company, was to make this transition, enable these transitions for players like PepsiCo. And that they're now taking serious steps in making that happen. And we are part of the solution. It's something that we are extremely proud of. Last year, when diesel prices hit an all-time high, uh, in about June of last year, we heard a lot of companies talking about sustainability and switching to electric vehicles. Those prices on diesel fuel, they've actually fallen a lot by about 25 or more percent. What does that mean for your business? What does that mean for the sector in the near term? Near term, of course, the business case for diesel becomes slightly better. But I think that our clients and that we are selling, since we are selling transport as a service, we're selling capacity. I mean, that's something that we see as a total business plan. And for us, the long-term competitiveness of electric hasn't changed. And this, we are in the middle of the start of this transition. And we see that between 30 to 40% of the heavy-duty freight transport industry should be electrified now, driven by a business case. So if diesel prices stay at this level, is that a headwind for your business? Or are companies and their sustainability goals, is that just a big tailwind that kind of over, overrides the cost benefit of diesel, at least at the present moment? I think it's important, even at these uh, diesel prices, and even if they look get even lower, per miles driven, electric is actually the cheapest in most markets. Of course, it depends on different markets and the cost of electricity. But the general rule of thumb is that electricity is much cheaper per miles driven. So this transition is driven by the business case. And as hardware becomes cheaper and more available, this transition will only pick up. So right now we're showing some of your clients right now, as I mentioned, that includes Maersk, AB InBev, Pepsi now, Bridgestone, GE Appliances. So it's a diverse group of customers right here, a lot of them with some very robust demands. A company like Pepsi obviously has to ship its products to all type of different locations. I'm looking at the range on your tractor trailer, also called a Class 8 vehicle. Um, it's about 400 miles. So if the range is about 400 miles, how do your customers use these and, and what challenges do you have when you're trying to convince people to switch to EVs? Because the charging infrastructure in the U.S. and even in Europe, it's not fully built out yet. 
No, that's where I think that we are very different from a traditional uh, traditional truck manufacturers. We don't manufacture our trucks ourselves. We do that with partnerships. So what we are doing is to solve and provide the clients that we have with a full-stop shop or a, a simple solution for their problems. So we take care of everything that they require for their transport needs. So it's a turnkey solution for them. We solve the infrastructure, we solve the vehicles, we solve the operational setups. Because, I mean, when it comes to electric and go electric, especially for transport, it's not about range, it's about how to secure a business case. And what by doing smart planning and then utilizing our software platform is doable. So what we are seeing here that our clients are adopting really well on is that they have a, we provide them with turnkey solution to go sustainable at a cost compatible price. And it's proving to be a winning concept to go to market. All right, Robert Falk of Einright, we appreciate your time and your insight on the commercial EV space. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. Have a great day. All right, ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, the one word that every investor needs to know today, G-squared Private Wealth's Victoria Green. She lays out why she says the bulls are running out of steam and the three stocks that are high on her shopping list. Wex will be right back after this. Stay with us. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for what we call your WEX wrap-up, six stories you need to know before the opening bell. Taiwan Semiconductor beating profit expectations after its chip margins held up better than expected, even with concerns about fallout from a plunge in global electronics demand. SpaceX is attempting a suborbital test launch of its prototype Starship vehicle, which is designed for journeys to the moon and to Mars. A modified version of the aircraft has been selected by NASA and it marks the largest orbital launch vehicle ever created. Seagate Technology agreeing to pay a $300 million penalty in a settlement with U.S. authorities for shipping over $1 billion worth of hard disk drives to China's Huawei in violation of U.S. export laws. That's according to the Department of Commerce. Virgin Orbit officially filing a Chapter 11 bankruptcy plan after the company failed to secure long-term funding following a failed launch in January. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis approving a bill to ban state and local governments from using ESG criteria when selling debt or investing public money. The legislation had already cleared the state's House of Representatives last month. And Google is planning to introduce generative AI into its advertising business over the coming months, allowing advertisers to supply creative content to a particular ad campaign and receive novel ads based on the material. That's that report, according to the Financial Times. All right, we're gearing up for the trading day ahead at 8.30 a.m. Eastern. We get initial jobless claims and Philadelphia Fed manufacturing figures followed by existing home sales numbers at 10. And the earnings parade rolls on with the lights of American Express, AT&T, CSX, Blackstone, D.R. Horton among those reporting. At 10.15, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen delivers remarks on the economic relationship between the U.S. and China and a busy day for Fed members with speeches from Christopher Waller, Loretta Mester, Michelle Bowman, Lori Logan, Raphael Bostic, and Patrick Harper, all of them delivering speeches throughout this day. Then, at 4.30 this afternoon, we get the latest look at the Fed's balance sheet. All right, so plenty for investors to chew on in this trading day. Let's get a lot more insight with Victoria Green, G-Squared Private Wealth's founding partner and chief investment officer. She is also a CNBC contributor. Vicki, good morning. Great to have you here. Thanks, Frank. Good morning. All right, so Vicky, every day we ask Wall Street's brightest minds to share the word they believe will describe the trading day ahead. Victoria Green, what is your WEX word of the day? 
Yeah, mine is judicious. I think you got to be uh, very careful and prudent about how you're investing right now. And you need to make sure data's coming at you fast and furious. Make sure you're sidelining those emotions and really dealing with facts. You know, do you need to stay? Have you, does your conviction need to change? Do you need to update your thesis? As we're getting a look under the hood at Q1 numbers, it's very easy to become emotionally attached sometimes to our holdings as investors. And you need to be looking with data, not with panic, Sometimes it's not not smart to trade on a knee-jerk day, but you also need to update. Okay, let's say we have new headwinds. Let's say we saw something different on revenue numbers come in. Just look at it, be prudent, and be fact-based in your investing. When data's flying around, you need to be smart and calm. All right, judicious. I like that word. So, Vic, looking at the Dow, uh, not just the Dow futures, but the futures overall right now, um, the Dow's down about 140 points, but the Nasdaq's the hardest hit, down a percent. A lot for investors to chew on, as we just said. Uh, we heard the Fed governor say, uh, the New York Fed governor say, um, some pretty hawkish comments. And also we're hearing Janet Yellen talking about the relationship between the U.S. and China. How do you see these two factors shaping this training day ahead? Well, since earnings, especially the banking earnings, haven't been what I would classify as a complete dumpster fire, now our focus shifts back to the Fed watch. And so we are looking at these these statements being made. It does look a little more hawkish. You know, June's now on the table. That that was unthinkable a month ago. It was it was maybe one in May and done. And then if Yellen really escalates what's going on with China and we see more and more pressure there and economic tensions rise, it just kind of ratchets up the risk on the downside. I also think some of this is a reaction to the Tesla mix, uh, especially on the Nasdaq side. You know, if you look at the breadth of the market has been really poor this year. So you've had some of these winners really uh, driving the market up, but they, they're accounting for a, an outsized portion of the overall returns. And seeing Tesla kind of miss them pretty hard uh, is, is shaking some investor sentiment, especially on some of these tech stocks that have had that massive run up since October. All right. Something else you're watching is the dollar. I'm looking at the dollar right now. It's down about a percent and a half so far this year. And that's leading you to one of your picks, which is Pepsi. So how does the falling dollar help a Pepsi? So they're a very international company. More than half of their employees are actually international employees. And I think in Q4, they're around 43% of their revenues were generated from international markets. So when you have a falling dollar, you actually were going to generate stronger, by the time you do your currency translation back and you look at your financial statements, stronger earnings for Pepsi. So we see this dollar headwind. We see that now that might be a bit of a dollar bear market, which is good for these multinational companies. We also think Pepsi is a little bit higher quality and more insulated because it's not just a beverage company. It's also a massive snack company and and we're never giving up our snacks so if you're looking for a little <laughs> bit of an area to, to hide in the market and in staples it's not necessarily cheap but they're a high quality company they've got a very strong track record for okay. setting reasonable earnings expectations and beating all right one more of your picks is schwab that name's been a bit beaten up lately why are you so positive yeah. on it Okay, it's not that bad, people. Everybody likes to hate on Schwab right now. And, and I'm like, it's really not that bad. Yes, they're seeing this cost of deposit rise, but so is every financial. They have mentioned multiple times they are not going to have to sell their held to maturity. They could lose all their deposits and still not have to sell their held to maturity. Every financial is going to be facing these new potential regulatory headwinds and rising costs in there. But I see Schwab as highly diversified. They continue to gather assets. Any market lift is good for their asset management and their fees. And so I look at this company and I say it's just a different balance sheet. And I think it is actually attractive valuation after all of this turmoil. And I think their vision for growth in the future is still very much intact. Every financial is going to be facing that headwind of maybe we have higher regulatory costs. Okay. Maybe we have different regulatory margins. Certainly something to watch. Uh, Schwab shares down 33% year to date. Victoria Green, always great to see you. Thank you again. Thanks, Frank. All right, one last look at the futures right now. In the red, the NASDAQ, the hardest hit, down 1%. And right now, that's going to do it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. We got Squawk Box coming up next. Thanks for watching.
You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.